You know, I, I think that we have a, a habit in our, in our culture that we try to figure out the system as fast as we can so we can figure out the loopholes in the system as fast as we can. We work the system, whatever the system may be. We try to make the system work for us. And I don't know if that's good, bad, or we call it creativity or whatever, but you have a job and the first thing you want to know is your, are your days off. The uh, first thing you want to know are your, 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 what you're going to accrue and how can you accrue points fast enough or whatever the case may be. You try to figure out a system. And when you get into that system, that system uh, could sometimes come back and bite you if the system figures out that you figured out the system. Does that make sense? And um, there was an attorney one time who figured out a system, so he thought. He was actually voted by his colleagues, and this is a true story. He uh, was voted in Charlotte, North Carolina in 2007 uh, among his colleagues, the Criminals Lawyer Award Contest. All right? The Criminal Lawyers Award Contest. And these attorneys decided to vote on what was, the, I guess, the most creative, if you will, uh, uh, crazy crime that maybe was committed. I don't know if it was just among their colleagues or what, but uh, this was actually a lawyer who won this year. And uh, what he had done is he had purchased... Uh, uh, just to, to reward himself, uh, a significant, expensive gift uh, of cigars, 24 cigars to be exact. And he took those cigars and he thought they were so valuable that he would insure them against many things, but one of those against fire. Uh, that was his desire to, to, to prevent fire on his cigars and so he would insure them. So he was able to find somebody who would underwrite it and somebody who would insure it. And so he moves forward. But he also, in all his creativity, decides he's going to start smoking them. So he smokes one, he smokes another. Before the month is up, he smokes all 24 cigars before he pays his first premium on those cigars. He files the claim. And as you can imagine, the insurance company uh, declared it would be bogus and there was no way that they would pay a claim for cigars who had been smoked by the person who insured him. And, and there was just no, no way. But went to court, and the judge decided for the lawyer, uh, go American justice system. Uh, and so the judge decided for the lawyer, but the story doesn't end there. Uh, they were in a now a quandary of whether or not they were going to pay or they were going to appeal or what would they do. Uh, the company, the insurance company, decided that they would just pay the $15,000 bill for this guy's insurance policy. And uh, the guy knew that he had won at that point. He had found the loophole. He had figured out the system. He had walked through that system. And the story doesn't end there either. Because once he went to the bank and he cashed the check, all of a sudden several officers showed up around him and arrested him for 24 counts of arson. So the creator or the creative was snooked in the end. Just when you think you've got this system of life figured out, you might find that you don't know as much as you think you know. In fact, you might look a little bit dumb in the mirror if you're not careful. Figuring out systems is what we're constantly trying to do. New job, uh, whatever it may be, how can I work the system for myself and for my good? Uh, Paul talks about systems, if you will. He talks about 
the old system. He talks about the new system. He talks about the old way. He talks about the new way. He talks about the old nature. He talks about the new nature. And the thing is, is that there, this, this way or this nature is a system in which we are born into. And we spend our life, Adam and Eve did it for the first and showed us how to do it in the garden, how to figure out holes in the system. Now, they didn't do it on their own. They were tempted, I know, by the tempter. And, 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 but for generations ever since, we have tried to work the system to our own, self grand, uh, our own self-fulfillment. It becomes almost a way of lifestyle for us, trying to figure out the system and what can work for us and benefit us in, in, in life. And so we have to be very, very careful of that. Paul talked about the walk or the system, if you will, in the very first part of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 when he talks about that we ought to walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling in which we have been called. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And I want you to kind of keep, continue to just let that be the verse that you go back to again and again. It's the hinge in which theology of, uh, of Ephesians changes to the practical living of Ephesians. And it's really the hinge that brings it all together. He said, because of this great theology that we've understood, now we need to walk worthy of the calling in which we've been called. But the problem is, is that's not only one walk system out there. There are many systems to choose from. We need to make sure we're on the right system and that we're going the right paths and we're on the right journey. Because he mentions in verse 17, if you go down there, our focus today, if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 talks about another walk. He said, this is the walk you don't want to walk anymore. We, we might have walked it at one point in our life, but we don't want to walk this walk anymore. Verse 17, now, this I say and testify in this. Now, notice the intensity of this. I'm saying this and I'm testifying in this. He's kind of ramping it up there in his writing. In the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. Don't walk like them anymore. Now, he's not berating and being some kind of bigot or racist against the Gentiles. Because you've got to remember, back just a few verses back, he talked about the mystery of the gospel is for the Gentiles. And who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles of the world. Everybody else in the world. It's not just gospel for the Jews and good news for the Jews. It's for the entire world. He talked about that. But what he's saying here is the Gentile system or the world system out there, don't, don't do that anymore. No longer walk as if that was the first nature, second nature in us. But that was the way we used to walk. Now we're on a different path. Remember the path that we're on? It's the first one that we just got through reading. We're walking worthy of the calling in which we've been called. So that's what we need to continue to grapple with in our minds. What kind of path am I walking? What kind of road am I on? And sometimes I'm afraid we get caught up in this American dream that we're living. And I'm living the American dream. I'm a, I, I am a proud American. I vote. I pay my taxes. And you better by tomorrow pay your taxes. All right? It's Caesar time, the way I put it. It's time to pay. Whether or not they're managing it well, that's something we need to pray about. But the point is this, is that we have a system in this world, and which system are we going to walk? And the American system is much like the Gentile system which is much like the German system, which is much like the Chinese system. And it may not be the system, and I would say that there, I would say it's not the system that God would have us to walk in. And you can confuse American patriotism with the American, God's blessing America, and 
and, and get lost in that. And you could vote Democrat because they're more social conscious. Or you could vote Republican because they're more values driven. And you can choose your parties. But that's not going to decide whether or not you're walking in the right path. There are, that does influence it, but it's not all about that. How's your walk? That's the question. How is your walk? Where, where are you walking? Where are you going? Day in and day out. What steps are you taking today to make sure you stay on the right path? Because the old nature, and I think that's the, the hidden message there, or the underlying message in Paul's writing here in this chapter, is that, hey, it's not going to be easy to stay on this path. There will be many detours to get us back onto the Gentile road, the worldly road. And if we aren't conscious every day of it, we will be sucked back into the way that we are no longer to walk. So I want to take a couple of looks today at kind of where you're at, what journey you're on, kind of clear the clutter, clear the fog in front of you, and and take a look at the path and look down and look hard and and drill deep and, and say, okay, what road am I on? If I stay on this path morally, spiritually, if I stay on this path, where will it take me? Think about it. As we look at this passage, I want us to look at two things. Number one, I want us to look at the new look at the old you. Now, I'm assuming that all of us have crossed over, and that's a wrong assumption. But I'm saying that because the way Paul is writing, he's writing to believers in Ephesus. So I'm going to stay in his tone, in his assumption, that, hey, you crossed over. And what I mean crossed over is you were on the Gentile, everybody else's road, the American Dream Road, or the the material road, or the, or the atheistic road, or whatever road you, road you were on, and somehow you crossed over. And I want to take a new look at the old you. But now for some of you, I realize that you may be, have only been on one road all your life. And you have been on that same road. And you've tried to get off, but you've never been able to get off. You've wanted to get off, but you didn't know where to go. And you find yourself in this spiral of life, and you find yourself kind of in this cycle of life from going from one bad career to another bad career, from one bad relationship to another bad relationship, from one spiritual journey to another spiritual journey, and you just can't figure it out. And I want to say to you that the best thing you could do is to choose the right path. And maybe today will be the day that you'll figure out what the right path is. I don't know. I hope it is. But I want you to to look deeply into your life and into your heart and to see where you are as a person. How do people come to this crossroads experience? This intervention of God as we referred to back several weeks ago. How do we get to where God interrupts us? He does it at so many different times, at so many different crossroads. It could be a broken relationship. It could be circumstances that come into your life that you, you really didn't intend them to be there. And all of a sudden you find yourself overloaded and overwhelmed and you're looking up the bottom and you're saying there's no way I can make it through these circumstances, fill in the blank, it doesn't matter, you, you name the circumstances. You say, I've been fighting alone, pulling myself up by my own bootstraps, and I just can't seem to get through it. It could be the circumstances that brings you to that crossroad and you realize that you can't, you're not God, and you need to figure out God. It could be that you're in a season of transition in your life. Anthropologists call this rites of passage. Many people get married and find out that, hey, you know what, marriage isn't what it was billed to be. Or they had children, they thought that was going to be easy. It was easy for mom and dad, right? Wrong. 
You know, it's not going to be easy for you either. And all of a sudden you look to somebody out there that hopefully has some decent guidance. And some of y'all have wandered your way into the church today because of that. And that's a beautiful transition. That's a beautiful part of the journey. So it could be seasons of life. It could be just a really fatiguing life that leads you to that crossroad. Who knows what it is? For Solomon, he, he was on this journey and so, doing so well, but he got off track. And when he got off track, he just started accumulating the American dream and all the wealth and all the relationships and all the success and all the kings and kingdoms. But you read his last writing and you read Ecclesiastes and you read the very first chapter of Ecclesiastes and this is what you get. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher Solomon. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Are you talking about a person who has reached the end of himself and realized that at the end of himself, all he has is himself? And he realizes that it's meaningless. When are you going to reach the end of yourself and realize it's not enough? Two conditions come into our hearts and our life that uh, are, we need to really look at. When we look at verse chapter 4, verse 17, and we see that a passage here that he told us to no longer walk in the Gentile ways. Notice this, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the God because of the ignorance that is in them. Listen to this next statement and underscore it, bold it, do what you got to do to make it pop off the page. Why would anybody walk with such futile minds and thinking? And why would anybody live in darkness? And why would anybody be ignorant? Do. Here he tells us how, why, the reason. Do to their hardness of heart. Don't miss that. It was something that Paul dealt with, something that Jesus dealt with. And the first thing I want us to see, understand about the condition of our life and our, of, 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 of brokenness that we need to reach at some point in our life is that there, there's a callous heart in there. There's a callous heart, hardened heart. Due to the hardness of their heart. What do we do in our world, in our system, in our Gentile system? We say, trust your heart. Go with your gut. If you believe it, take it. We say, do everything with your heart. But the problem is, is we don't understand the condition of the voice that we're listening to. But whenever you dive deep into something far beyond yourself, something a whole lot more objective and a whole lot more divine, God's Word, you start finding the condition of everyone's heart. And it's not a beautiful picture. You find in Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Don't you Have you ever been in a situation where you make a decision following your heart and you get to the end of the decision and all of a sudden it falls apart, the wheels fall off the bus, and you're looking at the situation and you say, But I thought this was the right way to go. I thought this was the right thing to do. I just knew. I followed my heart in it. And all of a sudden, disillusion overwhelms you. And then you blame God and you say, why would God let this happen to me? You followed your heart. Don't follow the heart. It's deceitful. It's sick. So who do you follow? Notice this. Who, Who does know the heart? The Lord. The Lord searches the heart. So if you want to have heart surgery, why don't you go to a heart specialist? 
go to the, the cardiologist of all cardiologists. Notice what also it says in, the, in Mark. Jesus was speaking about the heart. He said in Mark 7, 20, 23, he said this, what comes out of the person is what defiles him. Now we often think, what I take in, if I drink, smoke, chew, run with those who do, you know, whatever out there, if we take it in, then that's what makes me dirty and unclean. And that's, that's wrong, and, and I shouldn't do that. And there are certain things that we shouldn't take into our life. Our body, if we're followers of Christ, it's the temple of God, so we shouldn't do that. Okay, so, so what's, what's, what's the tension here? The tension is that that's, not, that's not what's going to make you dirty. What makes you dirty is not what's on the outside coming in, it's what the inside coming out. It goes on and says, from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality. We'll come back to that. Envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The real issue is not what's happening in culture. The real issue is what's happening in me. If I'm dealing with a calloused heart or I haven't, worse yet, I haven't dealt with a calloused heart, I haven't dealt with the hardness of my heart. Then what we just read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 17 and 18, will be true of us. What is it that he mentions there happens to us? He mentions, he mentions the nothingness of our heart, if you will. The nothingness that comes out of our heart. But, but let me, before I do this, I just, I wanna, I just want to emphasize, Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a, was, was a, a writer in, in, in the communist Russia. And he, he was actually jailed because he spoke against Stalin. Or, or against, excuse me, against, against Lenin. Um, and um, he was, was speaking out his beliefs and was jailed for that. He lived a, 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 a very de- deep life to the point that you couldn't shut Josephson up. He was, ended up being kicked out of his mother country. But before he was kicked out, he knew something. He discovered something about the heart that we don't need to miss. He said, the line between good and evil passes through not through states, nor through classes, nor through political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. See, the issue is, is the heart. And whenever we have a hard heart and the calloused heart is there, then all of a sudden things begin to be blocked off. You can't allow certain things in. What happens is there's an emptiness of your soul that begins to be there. Notice what he said there in, um, in verse 17. He said the futility of their minds. The futility is actually the word void or emptiness. It's the idea that there is nothing there. They would use this to refer to idol worship. And boy, Ephesus knew about idol worship. Idol worship was there a thousand years before Paul ever took his third missionary journey. The, the, the temple of Artemis was there. The largest temple to the pagan Artemis was there as early as 6th century B.C. The temple to Diane was there. They knew about idol worship. They, they knew. Many of these people grew up in Ephesus and they grew up in that idol worship. And they grew up, grew up, grew up realizing, I'm empty, I'm empty, I'm empty. Then they find Christ. They turn to Christ. And so when Paul says, listen, it's just like your mind is still caught in the idols. It's empty. It's futile. It's nothing. 
Also, when your heart is hardened, it lacks clarity. Notice this, that there's a darkness in their understanding. It says that in verse, again, you can underline these. Darkened in their understanding, verse 18. Alienated from God because of the ignorance. They were ill-informed. There was ignorance in their life. When you are ill-informed, when you lack the clarity to make good decisions, when there's an emptiness of your soul, it's probably because there's a hardness of your heart. We've got to understand our hearts. To take that new look at the old you. I hope it truly, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope today that truly you are looking back at the old you. And you're not looking at the present. Because if it's the present you, the best thing you could do is to deal with your heart today. It's the big issue. Don't miss it. Because a a calloused heart will lead to a careless life. It mentions what happens in verse 19. And I'll tell you this in the beginning of looking at verse 19. It was verse 19 studying it back in September of last year that I said, okay, it's Ephesians that we need to study. Verse 19 was the one that I memorized and had to clean out some things in my own life because of the callousness in my own heart and my own life. And I said, you know what? This, this is what we need to hear. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality given themselves up to sensuality. We cannot miss what happens when they were removed to a careless life because what happens is, is I can take a look at pornography and not feel dirty or I can take money from really where it should be going and, and I can go buy my new television because that's what I really wanted and, and all of a sudden it becomes about fulfilling the senses and I'm taking from God to, to, to please self and I can become a bully at work because... Because I'm the boss and and I can tell people what to do and never mind what is going on in their life. What it takes to get ahead. I can rationalize it. All of a sudden, whenever there's when there's emptiness and there's and there's 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 not clarity and and, and, and there's ill there's ignorance in our life because of the hearts of our heart, all of a sudden now we're we're like living a life without guardrails. We're living a life without guardrails. And there's a phrase here I don't want you to miss because in the verse 19, the, the, today's English version translates it like this. They have lost all feeling of shame. Is the way he describes verse 19. And they became callous. They lost all feeling of shame. I've been in vocational ministry for 21 years. And I'll tell you one of the saddest days in my ministry was whenever there was a very good man in one of the churches that I pastored. And this very good man was a very good teacher and a very good servant and a very kind individual. And a person that you you could trust implicitly from all external appearances. And all I knew was to, to believe and to trust in this person. Until finally the wife came to me one day and exposed some things that were going on in the home that I had no clue nor would many other people know about, even the children didn't know about, some things that were going on that were not healthy for their marriage or for him or anybody else. 
So we had, over the course of two years, conversation after conversation after conversation, accountability after accountability after accountability. Me with this with this man. Me, along with other godly men that he respected, and this man. Me with more and more godly people that he respected, and this man. And you know what? The saddest day in my life was when finally we had to do a serious intervention in this man's life. And he looked without a tear or without any shame or any blush on his face. He got up and he walked away from God, the church, his family. His family. To this day, his family. Because he couldn't let go of this. He had lost the shame. Shame's not bad. Shame is not bad. Because shame makes you feel dirty and makes you want to get clean. Shame makes you want to move from this lifestyle, this road, to this road. Shame will motivate you off of dead center. It will put guardrails back in your life. Notice what it says again. He says in verse 19, And they became callous and had given themselves up. They had given themselves up. Literally, they had turned the thought life over to... They had turned their attitudes over. They had turned their heart over. They had turned their actions over. Given themselves over to sin. And what happens when that happens? The guardrails fall off. Sensuality moves in. Sensuality is one of the keys that really unlocks it. What is sensuality? It feels good to do it. Now, obviously, when I think of sensuality, I think of, of sexual sins. And sensuality can be anything that brings pleasure. And when you give yourself over to sensuality, well, you know what? The thing about sensuality, it only leads to the next, greed. Because once you've tasted sensuality, you only want more sensuality. Whatever it brought you, sensation, food, relationships that were not healthy and right, things that you see. Anything that brings you power, pride, success. Have you ever known anybody who's ever found success, satisfaction? Many times I've got to have more success. Greed. You've got to have more of it. If I, if I want to deserve it, I, I need to go for it. And then every kind of impurity. That's what happens after that. It's all right there in verse 19. Just break it down. Sensuality, greediness, practice of every kind of impurity. It just begins to snowball down into our in, in our lives. Jason Grisham was, was a brave or dumb individual, I, I know. But uh, he had tried to live life on the edge a little bit. So he decided that what he was going to do was going to climb this electrical tower. And uh, so he was climbing the tower for whatever reason. I never knew why he climbed it. The article that I read this from did not say. But for some reason, this 22-year-old man decided he would climb it. And he was electrocuted by 69,000 volts of electricity and lived. Actually, he went to the hospital, lived through it, and he was thrown from the tower onto the ground. His pants, the article said, exploded off of his body. He was admitted to the hospital. And whenever the electric...
your company was contacted, why in the world would you allow this 22-year-old man to climb up your tower and be shocked like this? They were trying to point the finger at the electrical company, this poor 22-year-old young man. And they took the video cameras out there, and they showed him the tower, and they showed him where they climbed over the tower. And it was a seven-foot fence with barbed wire at the top. And right in front of where he climbed over, it said, Danger, high voltage. And I think about that story, and I think about the life that we live, and we just climb right over sound wisdom. Why? Because we have futile minds. Because our hearts are hard. Because we lack intelligent relationship with God. Because of the callousness of our heart, it leads to a careless life. Very dangerous way to live. Paul doesn't want to focus on that. He wants to move them past that path and get them on this path. This path picks it up when we talk about the new you for a new destiny. I really hope that there is a new you that's out there. I hope there's a new you because you have come to the end of yourself and you realize yourself isn't enough. Notice what he said in verse 20. He says it emphatically. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. This life of sensuality and greed and can't get enough and it leads to one pure impurity to another to this kind of American dream, out of control lifestyle. That is not the way you learn Christ. Now, I first read that and I thought, he's from Arkansas. He doesn't have very good English. Because how do you learn Christ? I thought Christ was a person. Until I kind of thought into that and thought into that a little bit further. And I thought, you know, Christ is also not only a person. He's a way. He's a way. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, it declares that Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said, I'm the way. You want to know the way to go? You want to know the way to walk? You want to know the way that we should walk in the calling in which he's called us to, to live? Figure Jesus out. Because the way that we learned was not the way that we... That, that's not the way that we should go. We should go the other way. But now what he does is he begins to unpack for us what that means and how that looks. And I really see these as sequential steps in your life. And so if you want to get up in the morning, you want to get up tomorrow and, and hopefully lead down this new path, this new way, walk-worthy way, I would say that you need to mentally, intentionally, in every way, do these next three things. Now, this is not a to-do list. Please don't turn it into that. But I think there has to be some hard shifting, some course correction in our life. And unless we have some handles to hold on to, then I think it will be really discouraging. Because you come here and say, oh, yes, I want to live the, the, the way that I'm worthy, the, the way that Christ has called me to live. But how do I get there? And he gives us, I think, three very distinct handles to grab a hold of. Verse 22 is the first one, and he said, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of your life full of, that is corrupt and full of deceitful desires. Put off. Get rid of the old self. Start identifying those things in your life that you know that God has exposed light into your life, light into your heart, light into a, maybe it's a day like today. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a conversation in body life group. Maybe it's a conversation with another great believer who's speaking into your life. And light comes on. 
And you say, that, that, that is a part of my life, and it shouldn't be a part of my life. The best thing you've got to do every morning, and I have to do this every single morning, is I have to make sure the old self is off of Mike McDaniel. I have to not just do it in the morning. I have to do it in the middle of the day because it kind of jumps back on me. And then I have to do it in the afternoon, and, and I have to do it in the evening when I get home and I'm tired and I'm, and I'm weak in my spirit. And, and all of a sudden, I'm around the kids and things begin to get testy in the house. Or, and, and I find that old self jumping back on me, and I have to put it off. How do you do that? You've got to repent. That's the point. In a word, it's repent. Get it out of your life. Get rid of it. Get, get it out of here. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. See, it's putting off that old stuff. Now, are you, are you going to mess up? You're going to absolutely mess up. Are you going to the old stuff going to jump back on you? The old way of thinking, the old way of emoting, the old way of uh, having attitudes in your life, the old way, yes, it, it, that's what I'm saying. Every day, constantly throughout the day, putting off the old. If it's anger management, you're going to be dealing with anger management 24-7, 365 days of the year for the rest of your life. Identify it. Put it off. If it's greed, identify it. Call it what it is. Put it off. Somebody asked me last week, came to me after the end of the message, I'm still so selfish in my life. How do I get past selfishness? So the only thing I can think of is to go be servant. Well, how do you take care of penicillin? How do you take care of uh, measles? You take a shot of the measles. You fight the symptom with the symptom. You fight the problem with the problem. You take measles, and all of a sudden you build up resistance, and you don't, you don't have measles. So how do, you, how do you deal with selfishness? You get rid of selfishness by becoming a servant. Find a place to serve and give yourself to it. That's how you move past the old self and get it out of your life. Renew the inward self was another thing he said. How, how does that happen? It's not just mind over matter. Okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do this. Now, I would wish it was just a matter of flipping a switch. And it was that easy. Because we just keep flipping that switch. No, it's not. We just keep throwing that breaker every time it throws. No, it's, it's more than just a switching of the attitude. They're going to have to be, listen, a reformatting, Paul doesn't use this word because computers weren't around then, but I'm going to use it because it's exactly what he's talking about. A reformatting of our hard drive. We are programmed to operate under this operating system, and that's all the system that we know. But we are going to have to reformat our hard drive. And how do you reformat that hard drive? Is you're going to have to fill it with new content and new systems. Verse 23, if you have your Bibles open there, he said this, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's your hard drive. Your hard drive is your mind. If we do not reprogram that mind, we are in trouble. It's exactly what Paul said in Romans 12, too, when he said, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that by testing, you will discern what is the will of God. You struggle with doing God's will? I do. Why do I struggle with it? Many times it's because my thought life isn't where it should be. I'm living in the old operating system and I need to be under a new operating system. I need to have my mind renewed. How do you renew your mind? And I, I can spend an entire message on this. Three quick.
important statements, jot them down. Read more, watch less. We watch a lot of TV in our world. New York Times did a study in 1997, revealed the study in 1997. The average American will spend 1,600 hours watching TV and 100 hours reading for every 100 hours of reading. Listen, I would say read more, watch less. Find good material. You don't know what to read? I'm always reading something. Ask me. I'll find something in the category of an area that you need, and we'll focus in on that. Read more, watch less. Listen more, talk less. Sometimes I'm afraid we fill the airways with our words so that nothing else can get in. There's a lot to say for solitude. There's a lot to say for just opening up the Word of God, reading one chapter, and just saying nothing for the next 15 minutes. And just letting that Word speak into your life. When you're with wise people, shut up. Okay? Don't try to prove your wisdom over their wisdom. Just shut up and listen. Alright? You'll get a lot more if you'll listen more and talk less. Here's another one. Wonder more, wonder less. Wonder more, wonder less. Wonder, thinking, meditating, questioning, being in awe versus wondering aimlessly in activities of life. Fantasy baseball, I understand. It's a major player to your great depth of life. Maybe not. Think about it. How much are you spending time wondering the last thing he tells us to do, he tells us three things. He says, put off, talks about renewing the spirit inside of us through our mind. And number four, or number three, he says, put on the new self. Put on the new self. The new you. That's what we're talking about from the very beginning. It's, an old, it's a new look at the old you, but it's, 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 it's maybe a fresh look at the new you. What's the new you? What does the new you look like? I'll promise you it's not going to be from the outside in. It's not going to be from the outside in. It's going to be from the inside out. And in verse 24, it says, that Put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. Listen, I, can't, I don't have enough time to unpack that. But if you're looking for a mentor in life, and again, I know this is the Sunday school answer number one, but it's the Christ-likeness that we ought to be striving for. Just take one attribute of Christ and zero in on it. His love, His forgiveness, His faith, His prayer. His disciples wanted to know one thing before He left. Teach us how to pray. Focus on one attribute of God, one value of God, one character quality of God. Make it yours. And then go on to the next one. Make that your mentor in life. I love when you talk about a new life, and I think all of us can look at our life and say there's something about us that we'd like to change. Well, here's the promise for you. 1 Corinthians 5, 17, out of the message. Look, now we look inside. What we see is that anyone united in the Messiah gets a fresh start. He's created new. The old life is gone. The new life virgins. I think about my life as I prepare these messages as much as I think about your life. And I thought about back to a fall. It was actually a late summer. It was late August, early September. And I can't remember the exact date. 
But I can remember the decision processes that I began to make. And I can remember I was coming down off of probably one of the flagship moments of my relationship with God. And it was, it was a meaningful, transforming time. And a lot of clarity. And I was actually in the process of making some decisions that were going to open up opportunities like this. But at, right at the juncture of this was this other opportunity. This other fork in the road. And it looked really good. It looked really, really good. You know, one of those. And I knew immediately I wasn't supposed to take that fork. I was supposed to go this way. And I knew that this way was God's way for my life. And that was about late September, late August, 1st of September. And I can say September, October, November. I took the wrong road, by the way. I, 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 I can absolutely say I looked at that, and I enjoyed every bit of it. I enjoyed every bit of it. It was an enjoyable ride. It was an enjoyable journey for season. But then, December, and by mid-January, the wheels had fallen off the bus. And I can say this, in the foundation of my very character began to crumble because of that decision that I made when I got off calling that in which he's called me to live. And I started walking like the Gentiles. And so take it from me, take it from Paul, choose your path. Choose your path because when you choose your path, you choose your destiny. Would you pray with me? Father, would you restore us to Would you make us whole today? Where we are empty, would you fill us? Where we are on the wrong path, would you bring us back? Where we are far from being whole, would you would you complete us? Just as you sit there in your own prayer, voice your own prayer right now. Where you're at, on the path that you're on, the walk that you're walking. If you want someone to pray with, I'll be here. If you want to just come and pray, you can come and pray. But this is your time to find restoration.